Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio Podcast over 14 years, 500 episodes featuring conversations with people like Mark Cuban, David Stern, Jeannie Buss, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, and Kyrie Irving on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. We're ranked in the top 100 of the business news podcast section on iTunes. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 followed by Forbes.com for three consecutive years and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. Joining us on the podcast this week, Jeff Rubin, the CEO and co-founder of a really cool sports app called Sports Me. You can get it in the iTunes app store. You can go to getsportsme.com. But they're doing some interesting things to get people to interact and have conversations via app. We'll talk to Jeff Rubin about that. I'm joined in studio by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing good. It is uh, September 11th. Always an uh, interesting day. You yeah, know? it is. It is. And and I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about that. Uh, obviously, a serious topic. Uh, sports world, you know, was part of the healing process. Games played Yankees, Mets, Mike Piazza's home run. Uh, when the Mets returned home, the Yankees played in the World Series against the Diamondbacks. Lots of healing uh, via the sports world. But, you know, personally for us, New York kind of had this gravitational pull for me after 9-11. I actually went to New York three weeks after 9-11. They were talking to people about if you want to support New York, if you want to show that you know, you're not afraid, come to New York. And remarkably, I've been to cities all over the world. I had never been to New York, Griggs. And I, I feel disappointed to this day that I never saw the Twin Towers, and I never saw New York as it stood before 9-11. But since 9-11, I've been inspired, not only that trip three weeks after 9-11, but we have our Sports Business Radio Roadshow in New York every December. I've created the Sports PR Summit, and I wanted to have it in New York in large part because I just love the city. You know, Mm -hmm. I put this on social media, but The people in New York are unlike any other city in the world. I've traveled all over the world. I've been to China. I've been to Japan. I've been to Australia. I've been to Europe. People in New York, there's this grit and this toughness and this resilience about them. And you see how they've rebuilt. When we went last December to New York for Sports Business Radio Roadshow, and my daughter Sophia was with us, and Brad Kinzer, our photographer, was with us, we went down to the 9-11 Memorial and the museum, and my daughter had never seen this before. Obviously, she's read about it in the history books, but it was really important for her to see the site of where this tragedy took place, and even more importantly, the lesson of how to rebuild. And I'm just inspired by New Yorkers because so many people uh, have inspired us with how they've rebuilt their structures, how they've rebuilt their lives. I mean, look, people who lost loved ones on that day, that can never be 
that that hurt and that damage can never be repaired. But it's such an amazing city. It's diverse people from different backgrounds, and I just I love New York. It's my favorite city in the world. Yeah, I'm I'm excited because of the show and the road show and the Sports PR Summit that I've got to see New York to, as well. And it is amazing the rebuilding. I mean, it's it's fascinating. And the thing I love is they've rebuilt, but there's still such a sense of remembrance. Right. You go there and and the guards are talking to you about the names, and they'll tell you everybody on the, the they have a section where they kind of talk about each person in that section. And uh, it's fascinating to see how far it's come in 17 years, but yeah, it's you still feel just that that heaviness there in a good way because you're remembering all these people that gave their lives for it. Yeah, you go there and it's it's somber because you think of all the people who lost their lives. I mean, I think of the people, the firefighters, the police, the the port authority people who ran into those buildings to save others knowing that there was a good chance they were never going to come out and a lot of them never did. And that is a true hero when you're giving your life to help others and you know, I, I heard stats this week of the number of people who have died since 9-11 that went into those buildings and, you know, everything that happened to them after they survived and the health problems they had after they survived, whether it was the asbestos or the just the dirty air quality or mm-hmm. the cancer that came with that. So I, I think we need to remember that, too. There were so many people that perished that day. But there were still other people who perished as a result of that tragedy. And, you know, it's not just New York. It's Washington, D.C. It's Pennsylvania. Um, there were several sites that were impacted on that day. And what a crazy day that was. Griggs, I was actually – I was on a cruise ship with my mom in Alaska. I was looking at ice glaciers <laughs> in Alaska on a cruise ship. I was closer to Russia than I was to the United States. Actually, I had a difficult time getting back into the United States because they grounded all of the air traffic for a few days. And we finally got back in a few days later. But I felt so removed. I remember being on the ship and you know I was working out and I had CNN on. And all of a sudden, you see the events of that day unfold. And as time went on, I felt so removed from that. And this is before you know, cell phones and social media and and things of that nature. And uh, it was just a crazy experience. I know everyone has an experience for where they were on 9-11-01. They remember that day. Yeah, it's just one of those days that no matter what you were doing, you remember the exact moment you saw the news or heard it on the radio or whatever it was. And just like I was working just here in Portland, I wasn't in radio at the time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we sh- the business I was at basically shut down and we just yeah. had the TV on all day long. And we were making sure we called our friends, anybody we knew that, you know, we needed to contact. We were that was the goal is just making sure everybody was safe that you knew. I mean, it really puts things in perspective, right? Like we all get so busy and everything we're working on is important and we've got 50 things we've got to do. Every day, but when something like that happens, it makes you stop in your tracks. You take inventory of what's important and it really humbles you and, and, and you have to look at the important things in life. And, and I think, you know, for me, it's interesting. I'm turning 50 this year and I look at 9-11 as one of those seminal moments in my life where it's almost like I remember everything before 9-11 yeah. and then the world after 9-11. Mm-hmm. So things for me are measured post 9-11. And, you know, I travel a lot. I'm on airplanes a lot. And things have changed mm-hmm. since 9-11. Uh, you know, security has gotten tighter. Uh, some of the things that we just took for granted have changed. But, uh, you know, look, I can't say enough about the city of New York, the people who live there. 
the resilience of the everyday citizens, the firefighters, the police, uh, the character of that city is inspiring to me. I know people, you know, who are part of our sports business radio team, who are part of our sports PR summit team are inspired to go to New York every year and travel from the West Coast because we love the energy of the city. When you land there in New York, I mean, I know we all get excited, but you can just feel the energy of the city. And I've never really felt anything like it in any other city. Yeah, it's got an energy. And you're right. And I think it's one of the reasons New York is such a successful city. There's so much money. There's so much success there is because people just don't give up. I mean, there's just a resilience. They keep going. They keep fighting. And you're right. You land there and it's just like you're excited to get out in the city and see the people and see the, the sights. And you just get uh, you get excited to be there. All right, coming up next, we'll get to some headlines. And then uh, Jeff Rubin with SportsMe, the CEO and co-founder. We'll talk to him. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They are the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports, led by companies like Boingo. Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. All right, back here in studio with Brian Griggs, executive producer, Sports Business Radio. Griggs, uh, I had an amazing, kind of life-changing experience recently. I'm still one of those people that I like adventure. And if you're pitching me on something, letting me experience something that I've never experienced before is pretty cool. So, you know, I used to work for the Portland Trailblazers and... I'd get to play basketball at the arena, you know, where the NBA players play. That was fun. Uh, I've gotten to play soccer on the field where they have the Major League Soccer All-Star game. That was fun. And get a special uniform. I've gotten to do some experiential things. Well, uh, IndyCar was in Portland, Oregon, where we're based a few weeks ago. And they invited me to come along for a two-seat ride at 140 miles an hour. And Griggs, I was a little nervous about it. I don't take as many risks anymore since I have a, a daughter. Uh, but I was like, you know what? I'm in good health. When am I going to get this opportunity again? I know that I'll look back if I say no and go, darn it, I should have done that. Yeah. And I've always been interested to see, like, what is it like being in one of these cars? And IndyCar is different than NASCAR. You know, NASCAR, you've got the oval. IndyCar, you're braking, there's lots of turns, the course is completely different. And lo and behold, I get to ride in a car with Ari Leyendijk Jr., to some people known as the Bachelor number 22. <laughs> so the way this works is I went to the track, and the people from IndyCar were so nice and, and so hospitable and uh, just terrific. 
and you show up and you sign this paperwork and some of the paperwork you're signing is what's your blood type? <laughs> Who's your doctor? <laughs> Who's your emergency contact? And I'm like, uh, maybe I shouldn't do this after all. But then they get you into this really cool race slash fire suit and they fit you for your helmet and you're starting to get all excited about it. And you can hear the cars just zooming by. I mean, there's nothing like being that close to these cars zooming by at 140 to 200 miles an hour. And the other person who's giving two seat rides was none other than Mario Andretti, who, by the way, is 78 years old. He looks like a movie star. The guy <laughs> looks like he's 60. He looks like he's in great shape. Uh, and he couldn't have been friendlier. So the people from IndyCar, super nice. The drivers, very nice. Ari was very nice. And, you know, there were a few other media people there that were doing this. They had some sponsors. But it comes time for me to get into the IndyCar. And the cool thing is, Griggs, and if you go to our Facebook page, Sports Business Radio, or to Instagram, at Sports Business Radio, or Twitter, at SB Radio, I posted some video. IndyCar put two GoPros in my car. So one is the forward view, so you can see Ari driving, me looking forward on the track. The other view is a camera looking back at me. So you can see I look like a bobblehead. Because <laughs> <laughs> when you're going 140 miles an hour, you're bouncing all over the place. And, and to me, that was one of the main takeaways is I always had respect for the drivers, but the physical condition these drivers need to be in to go 500 laps like they do at the Indy 500 or however many laps at that speed, mm-hmm. braking and turning, your core has got to be strong and you've got to be in really good condition. You can't be some, you know, big, person getting into one of these cars and and not in good shape, you'll get tired. So that was my first takeaway. My second takeaway is, oh my God, this is fast. Like (laughs) you go from zero to 140 on this track, they, they push you to start you and they like, you know, ignite your engine and they push you and like, we're going zero to 140 in (laughs) a matter of seconds. You're like, (laughs) but the adrenaline and the thrill of going that speed was unlike any... The only thing I can compare it to is I've gone bungee jumping before. Years ago, when I was young and much dumber than I am now, (laughs) I wouldn't do that again with a daughter. But this was the same kind of adrenaline rush. And granted, I'm not driving. I'm just a passenger in this car. But it gives you an amazing feel for the speed, for taking the corners. Like You feel like you're... In the race. And the thing that was amazing was we were going this fast, but we were the only ones on the track. Imagine when these drivers are navigating through the traffic and they're trying to win the race and you're, you've got that element of it. But it was fantastic, Griggs. And I thank the people at IndyCar. I want to have uh, someone from IndyCar on this show soon to talk about the business of IndyCar. They're about to lose their series sponsor, Verizon. They're looking for a new sponsor for the, 2019 season, it really is a great sport. You know, they called this the the fastest ride in sports. It's sponsored by Honda. And I can't imagine, you know, I've gotten to take batting practice. I've gotten to do a lot of sports experience. I've been on the field in an NFL game. 
This was one of the coolest sports experiences I've ever had. 140 miles an hour in an actual Indy car, suited up and all. It was awesome. Well, you looked good doing it. I mean, the suit made you look like you were a professional driver. I'll you give know, you I that. Kinda, some people did say that I looked like Paul Newman, but, you know, I... I <laughs> no, it's cool. And uh, The just, younger audience might have to Google who Paul yeah, Newman is. Who is but, Paul? Uh, yeah. Check, check, check. Okay, got it. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, just the sound of the indie cars. I love that sound. Man. It's it's just cool. And we had I we I work downtown Portland, so I'm kind of down here in the concrete jungle. And one of the indie cars came through for promo, yeah. driving through the streets, and you could hear it. I'm on the sixth floor yeah. in a soundproof studio, and it was shaking up here. Right, and it sounded so cool. Everybody just went to the windows like, "We got an indie car downtown." So they were driving through before they went to PIR where the where the race was. But man, it's uh, it just shakes you. So I I, I can imagine, I'm jealous of your experience. It looked really cool. Now, it was awesome. And again, thank you to the people at IndyCar. If you want to see some video, go to our Facebook page, Sports Business Radio. Go to our Instagram page, at Sports Business Radio. Or I put up some video uh, on our Twitter feed, at SB Radio. And it was right before Labor Day that we posted those. So, uh, by the way, great race. Uh, IndyCar hadn't been to Portland in 11 years. Big crowds. Very well received. So, you know, for people who say... That, that car racing isn't doing well. I, I do agree that it's a niche audience. There's a certain type of person that's going to come watch NASCAR or IndyCar. But here in Portland, the, the crowds were big and, and it was very, very well received. Griggs NFL season started this, uh, past weekend. Some interesting storylines, but one of my main takeaways was, you know, the NFL has always said there's parody on any given Sunday. Anyone can beat anyone. I don't think so this year. No. I think there's like five or six really good teams that have a legitimate chance to win the Super Bowl. I think everyone else yeah. is pretty mediocre, and there are some putrid teams <laughs> like the Lions and Jets. I already tweeted out that you can remove them from playoff consideration. Not the Jets, I'm sorry. The Lions and the Bills. Yeah. The Jets played great, and Sam Darnold is looking like he might be the savior that the Jets have been Waiting for and what resilience from him coming back from a pick six on his first professional regular season pass and, you know, goes and leads his team to 48 points. So, uh, that was like my main takeaway is wow, there's some really bad teams. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just call it right now. Uh, we can save this recording, but I'm going <laughs> Patriots Rams in the Super Bowl. And I know this is week one and people are like, Burger, you haven't seen enough of a sample size and how can you make a prediction after week one? You know what? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna throw it out there. I'm gonna go Patriots, which is no surprise because yeah. they always get to the Super Bowl. And the Rams, I like what they've added. Uh, they're, Defense has some swag to it now with Indomitian Sue and Talib and Marcus mm-hmm. Peters. You saw that in, in game one in Oakland. You know, it was tied at halftime and all of a sudden they just like hit the turbo boost and said, you know what? We're done playing around. We're going to roll you over, uh, Oakland. Maybe the worst trade I've seen in the NFL <laughs> in the last 20 years. What? in God's name, is John Gruden doing trading <laughs> Khalil Mack, a generational defensive player, to the Bears. And then the Bears promptly sign him to the richest defensive contract ever. Well-deserved. Guy's young. He's 27 years old. He's not even in his prime yet. He goes into that game. He reminded me of uh, the Forrest Whitaker character in Fast Times at Richmond High, where he just dominated. He's like... Yeah. Ripping the ball away from people, <laughs> jumping over the line and sacking people, had a pick six. I mean, this guy did everything, and you're like, 
why would the Raiders trade him? And I don't care that you got two first-round picks because you know what? You're going to spend one, if not both of those picks, trying to find the next Khalil Mack. You had him on your team. You're going to Vegas. You're going to make a ton of money there. They're kicking in $850 million, the state of Nevada is, for your new stadium. You can't pay the face of your franchise. I just thought that that was really a terrible move by the Raiders and one move that I think is going to impact them for years to come. I agree. And like you said, he instantly makes an impact for Chicago. I mean, the second he's out there, it's like, oh, here he is. There's just those (laughs) players that you, they step on the field and you're like, this guy's different than everyone else. You know, in that game, you had two of them. You had Khalil Mack and you had Aaron Rodgers. They're different than everyone else. It's like a man amongst boys. And that's what Khalil Mack is on defense. He is a man amongst boys. You don't trade those players. No. And, you know, the other thing is, you're like, wow, the Raiders gave Gruden 10 years, $100 million. Has he lost that locker room before the first game? Because yeah. Khalil Mack and Derek Carr were the leaders of that team. You just got rid of one of the leaders of that team. What do you think the remaining players think? They're like, why did you just get rid of this guy? You couldn't figure it out with our best player on defense and maybe the best player on the team. What kind of message does that send to the rest of the players on the team? And I don't think it's a good message. So I think Gruden is in for uh, a long haul. Good thing he has a 10-year contract. I will take odds all day long that there's no way that Gruden gets through all 10 years of that contract. There is no way. You give me any odds you want. I am not a betting man, but I would place that bet today if you said, here are the odds. What a, you know, John Gruden does not make it through all 10 years of that contract. I just don't see it. I agree with you there. And, you know, another thing I noticed a takeaway from the NFL first week was the, uh, all the new rules, the penalties. I, I think every game had 25, 30 flags. Lots of penalties, especially the quarterback. They're really protecting that quarterback. 15 roughing the passer penalties in week one, more than any other week since the 2001 season. The other stat, Griggs, and this was thrown out a lot, but we'll throw it out here. Seven new coaches in the NFL, 0-7 for those coaches. <laughs> Matt Patricia, John Gruden, many, many others. And by the way, this kind of carries on to the college ranks, too. Because you've got Kevin Sumlin, you've got Willie Taggart, you, you've got some coaches on the college ranks who were paid a lot of money and yeah. brought into their universities and hailed as the, the saviors, <laughs> and they're not doing so well either. So Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly, yep. So it, it's really interesting. Meanwhile, Herm Edwards at Arizona State, who everyone's like, what a joke of a hire. This guy's an old man. He He's not going to be in touch with today's athlete and today's game. He's 2-0, and and they just knocked off Michigan State, who's a top 10 team at Arizona State. So who knows when you hire these coaches? A lot of it is culture, right? Like some yeah. of them are really good X's and O's coaches. Others are culture guys. And I think with Oakland... They were hoping that Gruden would change the culture, and I think he would have. But when you get rid of your locker room leader and your best player, that changes the culture in a negative way. And you know, now, oh, we're going to be moving to Vegas. I just think the Raiders are going to be in trouble. But yeah, there were a lot of over-unders, and I definitely go under on the Raiders because I don't think they're going to – I think yeah. it was uh, eight games or seven and a half games was the over-under on them. I'm definitely under on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm over on the Rams. I like Kansas City. Yeah, Chiefs look good again. Um, Pat Mahomes, wow. Yeah. That dude has a cannon yeah. for, a, for an arm. 
So, uh, obviously, the Patriots look good. Uh, Cleveland is going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, it, that was it, a weird game, it's too. It's hilarious. They're off to their best start since 2004. <laughs> it was a tie. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't won a game since 2016. And, you know, the, the chant after the game is, we didn't lose. <laughs> you didn't win, but... You didn't lose either. Oh, so, man. but you can tell there's a different vibe around that team. I watched Hard Knocks on HBO. Yeah. I, the one thing about Baker Mayfield is he comes in with some swagger and yeah. confidence. And I think he's going to change the vibe in that locker room. Jarvis Landry, Miles Garrett. I think they're going to be okay. I don't know that they're going to make the playoffs, but they're definitely going to be competitive and. You know, whether it's the Lions or the Bills, the Browns aren't going to be the worst team in the NFL this year. I feel pretty confident saying that because there's some other bad teams out there. Any other takeaways for you? You know, a couple of new broadcast crews, too. Monday Night Football, whole yep. new staff going on with Jason Witten. I like that. Yeah. Um, so you're kind of getting used to all the new, you know, play by play. I still love uh, Jim Nats and, and Romo. I think they're hilarious because Romo's just—he's so excited. He's like he's yeah. a kid out there. He's like, oh, he's throw it, throw it, throw it. And he's just like he's coaching it. Or he's playing—he's playing the quarterback role still uh, from the booth. So that's kind of fun. And he has such a unique eye for watching the game. Yeah, he can tell you about a formation. He can tell you what the audible is. Right. He he just he's like John Smoltz on the MLB game. Sure. He has such an insider's perspective. And to the the pure football fan, I think they really enjoy that. I know I enjoy it, and and I really like watching the games that Romo's on. I like watching the games that Troy Aikman's on. Yeah, Um, I I think having a good analyst is really important, and I do think Jason Witten's going to be good. Yeah. Um, The question is, are the matchups on Monday Night Football compelling enough? Because that's what I think it comes down to. You can have the greatest announcing crew in the world if your matchup sucks. Yeah. You're going to go, eh, I'm not going to watch that. I'm not watching the game. i got to hear what Jason Witten has to say yeah, tonight. No. I want to watch the game, and then he's a compliment to the game. But if the game is a bad matchup, if you're showing me the, the Lions and Bills, <laughs> I I don't care if you have God announcing the game. I'm not, listen- I'm not watching. I, I'm just not watching. Yeah. So uh, that has a big part of it. You know, the Sunday night games, they got a great matchup for, uh, you know, week, week one yeah. with Bears and Packers and the epic comeback from Aaron Rodgers. So, uh, Sunday night usually has good matchups and, and people tune in. So, but I'll be interested to watch those Monday night ratings. All right, Griggs, uh, let's talk about Serena Williams and the U.S. Open. Overall, U.S. Open was fantastic. I'm a tennis guy. Yeah. You may or may not know that. Grew up playing some tennis. Uh, I've always watched the U.S. Open since I was a kid and thought the coverage was good. Heat was a big factor big at time. the U.S. Open. A lot of retired players you know, couldn't make it through the match. Uh, they changed some of the rules. I think if it was above 86 degrees, you know, they took more breaks than they usually would. Mm-hmm. But the matchups were good. I thought it was really disappointing that Federer went out as early as he did. Mm-hmm. Nadal had to retire because he had an injury, and that was disappointing because he was playing really well. He was number one seed. He was a defending champ. So some of the buzz, some of the luster came off the picture, so to speak, when Federer and Nadal went out. But you still had Djokovic and Del Potro and you know some of those players. And on the women's side, look, it's all about Serena, right? Serena is going for history. And any time you have an athlete, I don't care if it's Michael Jordan, Drew Brees, Tom Brady... Aaron Rodgers, when an athlete is chasing history, it's must-see TV. And this whole storyline with Serena of she's a mom now, she had lots of 
health complications after she had her beautiful daughter a year ago. She's been inspiring as a mom, and she's inspiring to moms out there that, look, you cannot only be a mom, but you can also do amazing things in your career, and, and she's done those things. Uh, I like her interviews and, and everything I've seen from Serena. Now we get to the finals of the U.S. Open on the women's side, and Serena is playing someone who has been really tough for her, uh, Naomi Osaka who is 20 years old. She's from Japan. I think if you're looking at someone who's going to take the torch from the Williams sisters in the next few years, it's going to be Naomi. She's really good. She's got that fire inside of her. She's talked about the Williams sisters being her inspiration, which is really cool. But she breathes through her tournaments as well, or her matches, and then got to the finals. So, you know, when I saw this finals, I was like, hey, this isn't a gimme for Serena. Right. This is going to be a tough matchup. Sure enough, comes out, Naomi jumps on her first set, 6-3. And just, you know, it wasn't even really a close first set. So you're like, wow, you don't see Serena woman handled like this very often. Mm-hmm. Like she's, she's in for a match today and this might actually be over quickly. Um, and one of the things with Serena, I'll say this is when she's been in matches, she's got this history where she's losing, she can get angry. And she can take her eye off the ball, so to speak. And I felt like a little bit of that was happening here. Mm -hmm. My underlining takeaway from this, and then I'll get your thoughts on this, is you've got this uh, line judge, umpire, Carlos Ramos, chair umpire is his official title. When people are coming out to watch matches, they're not coming to watch the chair umpire. They're not coming to watch the referee of the NFL game, the referee of the NBA game, or the umpire behind home plate. For most people, they want the official to be as invisible as possible. Do not impact the outcome of the game. Do not put your stamp on the history of this matchup. Well, Carlos Ramos (laughs) put his stamp on this. And I think did the fans, and especially Serena, a disservice, and Naomi Osaka, because at the end of the match, they weren't talking about, oh, what a great match she played. She's champion. They were talking about the showdown between Carlos Ramos and Serena Williams. And here's what I think should have happened. Ramos overreacted. He obviously came in with some kind of an agenda against Serena. Because, again, your job as the umpire is to be invisible. You do not get into it. Even if the player is showing anger, you do not get into it with them. You you settle this after the match. Okay? USTA doesn't want this to become the focal point of the story like it did. Serena is obviously angry because she's losing and she feels like, you know, she called him a thief. And she said, you owe me an apology. She couldn't get this out of her mind. She couldn't compartmentalize it and say, I'll deal with this after the match. I'm going to deal with this in real time. And if you've played sports, the more you take your eye off the ball, so to speak, the harder it is to win. Because while you're playing these points, you're not focused on the points. You're focused on, here's what I'm going to say next to Carlos Ramos. (laughs) And here's how I'm going to defend myself. And I'm being wronged. And he's cheating me. And all these things are true. But you've got to block it out. And you've got to deal with it after the match. And then you confront Carlos Ramos behind the scenes and say, dude, what was that? You can't do that. And you ask the USTA 
to say, this guy should never work one of my matches again. And maybe he shouldn't work a U.S. Open match again. But I think you could make a good argument that Serena was in the wrong for not compartmentalizing this and dealing with it after the match and focusing on the task at hand. You could definitely fault Carlos Ramos for becoming the focal point of this match and taking away from Serena and ultimately from Naomi Osaka, who won the match. I, you know, there's a lot of people crying sexism and, and things like that. And look, I'm not a woman. I'm not black. I don't even feel like I should be speaking on this because I'm not one of those two people. But looking at this from the outsider's view, I think it should have been handled as I just described, where you focus on the match, you deal with this behind the scenes after the match. But I also understand that Serena's emotional. Carlos Ramos, if I have to lay blame on anyone in this scenario, it's him. Because, again, you're supposed to be invisible. You're there to make sure everything runs smoothly. And you should not be a distraction. And he was. And, you know, a lot of people have said John McEnroe, Roger Federer, others have said a lot worse than Serena said. And they weren't penalized a game. It's one thing to penalize someone a point. I had never seen anyone maybe McEnroe back in the day, where they were penalized a game. Like, hey, this is a close match. I'm taking a game away from you. And that obviously was a huge turning point in the match. Yeah, I mean, it. uh, I agree with what you're saying, too. And, you know, Serena, you can't fault her for being a competitor. And you can tell that she just is out there to just go her whole 100%. So when something gets in the way of it, I can see why she doesn't want to drop it. So I, I get that aspect of it. And I just felt bad for Naomi. She's winning the match and she's out there crying afterwards because right. she's like, I'm so sad it happened this way. And that that's the part that just kind of got to me is it's like, I feel so bad for this 20-year-old who just won this massive, you know, major against an amazing competitor and she can't really enjoy it. Well, and, and credit Serena, you know, when they're doing the trophy presentation at the end, she was consoling Naomi and and couldn't have been more grateful about her being the champion that day, even though you know it's tearing Serena up inside yeah. <laughs> that she didn't get her uh, another major. I thought Billie Jean King really hit it on the head when she talked about this. She said he, meaning the chair umpire, Ramos, made himself part of the match. He involved himself in the end result. An umpire's job is to keep control of the match and let it and he let it get out of control. The rules are what they are, but the umpire has discretion. And Ramos chose to give Williams very little latitude in a match where the stakes were highest. That pretty much sums it up. I mean, Billie Jean King is an icon. Uh, she is one of the faces of, of early tennis and certainly like the OG of, of tennis today. And I think she said it perfectly there that you know, Ramos was the guy here that had the discretion he inserted himself into this situation and chose to be part of the the outcome, and that's not what you want from your umpire. So Griggs, all in all, a disappointing ending to the women's side of the U.S. Open. Uh, Djokovic looked great. He won Wimbledon. He won U.S. Open. He looks to be healthy again. I love the back and forth with him and Del Portro. At the end of the match, you could tell the respect that they have for each other. Uh, they've both had surgeries in the last few years that left them thinking, gosh, will I ever be an elite player again? And they got through those and they got to these finals. So that was an exciting match to watch. But 
I would have loved to have seen, I'm an old school guy, I would have loved to have seen Federer or Nadal, or Federer and Nadal in the final yeah. in some fashion. Yeah, I mean, Federer and Nadal are just like, uh, you know, they're the Michael Jordans of tennis. They're just always fun to watch. The Tiger Woods. It's like, if they're on, you're tuning in because they're just fun to watch. Djokovic is right there. I enjoy watching him play. He's a great competitor. I love how he just goes out there and you can just feel the passion he has to win these matches. And he wears it on his sleeve and he's just a, a great competitor. So, I mean, I'm glad he won. I, th- I think he's fun to watch. He's good for tennis. But yeah, Nadal and and Federer are just, uh, if it's on, you watch them. They're fun to watch. All right, coming up next, Jeff Rubin, the CEO and co-founder of Sports Me. It's a terrific new, engaging, interactive app that's changing the sports landscape. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Bringing you the biggest names in sports business. Without further ado, we all know this gentleman. Let's give David Stern a big round of applause. Let's welcome the president of the NCAA, Mark Emmer. Give him a hand. Let's give a big hand to USC alum and co-owner of the Lakers and president of the Lakers, Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. Thank you so, so much for having me, Brian. It was very, very kind, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. Sir Charles, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How you doing this morning? Today's guest is Memphis Grizzlies head coach David Fisdale. Good man, Barrett. My guest is tennis icon Chris Albert. It was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Pleased to welcome to the show Kyrie Irving, the number one pick in the 2011 NBA draft. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be joined by Pete Carroll, the executive VP of football operations and the head football coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Coach, how are you? Doing good. What's going on? Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. My guest is Jeff Rubin. He is the CEO and co-founder of Sports Me. It's a terrific new app. You can find out more about them at getsportsme.com or download the app in the iTunes store. Jeff, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Brian, I'm excellent. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm a huge fan and honored to be here. Thank you. Let's start with the idea behind this app. How did it come about? Yeah, I mean, it originated when I was watching a game. Uh, the commenter said something that I just didn't agree with. And uh, after uh, getting crowdsourced feedback from a few friends via text, I realized that there was uh, a missing element to this industry that I love so much and fans deserved more power. They needed an outlet, and um, we've been uh, growing really ever since. Explain the app and how it works. Sure. So SportsMe is a short-form, mobile video-only platform. Fans can debate 30 seconds or less any sports topic they want. Other fans can join in. You can rejoin the conversation. It's highly interactive, uh, able to immerse uh, with each other on any topic you want. You can move up leaderboards, gain followers, and we give fans this power voice in goals and really achieve uh, in purpose that, that they don't have today. So it's highly interactive, which I like. And, you know, like you said, people can debate on greatest player of all time or within a game, hey, is this team going to come back? I think it's a great platform for all of this. You've got some interesting investors who are part of this, including someone who's your mentor, Jason Robbins, who's the CEO at DraftKings. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so Jason was an early believer in what we're doing. Uh, it's such a, it's a $1.3 trillion industry, 
and uh, there's a, a large passionate passionate user base that has no outlet to what we're providing. And so Jason was a big fan of what we're doing. Um, Isaiah Kastavinsky, um, uh, Andrew Steinberg. You know, we have some really who's the former chief revenue officer of the Atlanta Hawks, Bryce Salvador, a former uh, New Jersey Devil, and a few others. Um, we're, we're we're fortunate and, and we're and we're happy that some of these people who have done incredible things in the industry um, believe that uh, this may be the future of the sports industry. Yeah, talk about the future for a little bit because uh, things are changing. Twitch is is changing things. Where do you see this all going? Like, what's the end goal for you? Sure, and that's exa- that's exactly right. So uh, we we also say we Twitchify traditional sports. So what is Twitch? It allows uh, modern consumers to directly engage with people like them and influencers directly. We do the same. Modern consumers, they want to create, they want to engage, and they want to influence. We give them this outlet. We're really excited about the future. We have incredibly high user metrics. As we add more gamification, digital currencies, we have a few very unique uh, disruptive partnerships, blockchain and crypto, uh, brand platforms, and um we're excited for fans to have power and actually eventually turn sports talk into sports action and give a huge, passionate fan base the ability to, uh, to have action in this thing that they love most in the world, uh, which we've seen time and time again. I know there have been some athletes, some influencers, celebs that have used the Sports Me app. Who are some of those people? Yeah, absolutely. So Ryan Hollins, uh, who is a Sports Me co-founder, is on the app daily. Uh, Mustafa Shakur, Anthony Tolliver, uh, I mentioned Bryce Salvador and Isaiah, and we've also had Adam Sandler on the app as well. That's and we're, we're And we're and we're talking to a few other athletes who uh, will uh, add, certainly add to that mix. So it's funny, you know, sports gambling is going to be legal here pretty soon in the United States, and people are going to be betting a lot more. I'm wondering how your app may come into play and and actually enhance that entire experience. Yeah, so people want direct information from people that they trust, right? You, you user generated content. 80% of people actually actually trust UGC over mainstream media. We give fans this premium outlet to get UGC from people that they trust new friends and old friends. And so us being backed by Jason Robbins, we can obviously do unique things with DraftKings. So we have some great partnership ideas with them. Uh, fans want more information. They want it directly. They want it immediately. And they want it from people they trust. And our platform is perfectly set up for the future as, as the sports betting industry grows more and more. I know you were at TechCrunch recently. What was the reaction to sports me there? Yeah, the, the reaction was uh, really incredible. So we gener- generated a lot of interest. We're closing our seed round uh, the next two to three months. So uh, we were very busy. Um, Mustafa Shakur uh, joined me at the at the booth, and uh, it, it, it was really phenomenal. Uh, I don't think anyone there had ever seen anything like what we're doing, um, and uh, even some of the most powerful men and, and women in Silicon Valley. So that was certainly validating and uh, a huge honor. TechCrunch named us one of the top gaming companies because as much as we are a sports company we truly gamify the entire turn sports fandom into a mobile video game so we're more a gaming company than being a sports company that's great yeah i mean that's got to be exciting to see this idea of yours grow like it has and and turn into something 
really special that's uh, impacting so many different people. What about partnerships with teams or with leagues? Have you had any of those conversations yet? We have. So just yesterday, we uh, and uh, I, I can't announce this yet because it's not uh, it's not ready to go. But we are going to partner with one of the biggest leagues uh, in the country, and that's phenomenal. Um, we want to partner with every league. We provide, uh, especially on the data side, the exponential data growth that we can uh, drive from our users. Um, that's going to be immensely powerful for brand, not just brands, but teams and leagues. And so as we go, we want to make the fan experience incredible, something that's immersive, indirectly influencing not just uh, fans talking to each other, but athletes. And our platform is not only set up to do that, we're already doing that, and we're really excited to work with teams and leagues um, as we grow. And obviously having someone like Jason Robbins behind us who directly knows all of these teams and leagues is uh, super helpful. Yeah, last question to you. Uh, the data, it's important. There's a lot of apps that are out there, and the data around the app and the users and the people who are on it and their demographics, so important to sponsors, teams, leagues. Maybe you can dig into that a little bit and explain to the, the layperson why that's so important. Yeah, so when you think about brand targeting, um, you know, Facebook, Snapchat, Musical.ly, Instagram, LinkedIn, they've been so effective at uh, targeted ads directly uh, to um, uh, brands that want to understand their users more, their consumers more, because our engagement is so high. Our users spend over 15 minutes a day. They average over 15 sessions per day. It's a lot of data. And so we do a lot of things on the back end as well. My co-founder, uh, my co-founders have sold companies, truly brilliant. Um, we have some, uh, some really unique things that we can provide to brands. And we believe that there is a changing uh, shift in the way that brands actually engage and interact with consumers. And our platform is perfectly set up for that in the future. Jeff Rubin, the CEO and co-founder at SportsMe. You can download the app in the iTunes store or you can go to GetSportsMe.com. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Have a great day. You too, Brian. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to Hadley Heck. She's a student athlete at Portland State University, and she's our new sports business radio intern. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our sports business radio roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio, rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audio Boom via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps, and, of course, at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at sportsbusinessradio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio.